focus on one in particular today, but I'm going to talk about each one of them briefly, okay? So we're going to start off with, this is chair one, all right? So we're going from, from my left, left to right, all right? And so this is chair one, okay? So I'm going to go ahead and sit in chair one. All right, this is what chair one represents, all right? So chair one is a passionate, born again, and sold out Christian, okay? So if you're taking notes, write that down. All right, so their life is all about Jesus, every single thing, all right? So they're sold out, which means that there's nothing left. If you think about something that's sold out, you, know, you go to the store and they say it's sold out, what that means? There's none left, it's sold out. And so they're sold out believer, which means that every single part of them is towards Jesus. They have nothing left to give to anybody else. Does that make sense? They're a sold out um, believer. And so they live with convictions, they live with compassion, they live with obedience. Um, they're compassionate about their friends, their family, their spiritual growth. They're compassionate about lost people in their city that's around them. They just, they are sold out and they love Jesus. They want everybody else to love Jesus as well. Um, they always stand out. These are the people that you know. They don't have to tell you. You just know something's different about them. All right? And uh, they, they know God's word and they don't compromise. They know this is what God's word says. This is what I'm supposed to do. There's no budging. Okay? This is the sold out chair one. Okay? And they're, they're, they're not lukewarm and they're very uncomfortable with their walk. Okay? So this chair, we made it to be kind of an uncomfortable chair. Ain't no pad, ain't no armrest. This chair is where everybody needs to be, but it's now also not the most comfortable chair. Does that make sense? So this is not the chair where everybody feels comfortable because constantly you're trying to grow. You never feel comfortable where you are. You're constantly trying to get better. Does that make sense? All right, so we leave this chair and we go to this chair, okay? This chair right here, I love this chair. I might camp out for a second. Hold on. This chair is, uh, this is chair two, okay? This is the most common chair, all right? This is the born-again Christian. Not sold out, but the born-again Christian. This is what that means, okay? So this, these people are very comfortable in their walk. They love Jesus, but they're very comfortable in their walk, okay? So chair, they left chair one when they became disobedient. They started off in this chair. But it ended up in this chair when it became disobedient, okay? You, you follow me? Um, chair two is jealous of chair one. Chair two is jealous of them because that's where they want to be, but they aren't, okay? They have no compassion. They don't care about lost people. They don't care about the homeless people on the street. They're just there. They're lukewarm which means they kind of give way each way, right? They're, they're lukewarm. They, they're hot sometimes. They're not hot. They're not cold. They're just kind of in the middle, all right? Chair two is more passionate about the, word, about the world than they are about the word, okay? Which means they care more about what the world is doing than they care more about what God tells them they need to do, all right? And uh, this is my favorite one. All right, chair two they have what we call fire insurance, okay? Like, they did just enough to where they won't burn in hell, but that's about it. <laughs> Make sense? Like, they know, like, all right, you don't, if you're not saved, you're going to hell. Like, all right, well, I don't want to go to hell. I love Jesus. I accept him. So they love, they know who Jesus is, but that's about it. They don't, they don't understand what it means to fully follow Christ, okay? So they're saved, but they're not on fire for Jesus, Okay? All right, so look, we're going to preach from this one today, so I'm going to skip it and come back, come back to that one last, all right? This chair right here, 
It's the most dingy looking chair. Sound like it's going to break. <laughs> this is chair four, okay? Chair four is just lost, okay? Chair four is without a savior. Um, chair four is un unable to help themselves. Um, and chair four, this is the, 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 the sad part. Chair four can't see chair one because of chair two. Okay? So they look at what a Christian should be, and they can't see chair one because all they can see is the, the people sitting in chair two. Does that make sense? So that's their identity. They're thinking, well, if I'm living just as good as they are right now, why do I even need to do that? All right? That's chair four. Okay? They're completely lost. No chance of knowing who Jesus is. And all they see is chair two. They can't see chair one. All right, so this is chair three. All right, I'm not going to sit in chair three. I'm going to stand behind it. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Chair three is a very common chair. Chair two is probably the most common within the church. Chair three is probably the second. Chair three is they think they are saved. Okay? They have a head knowledge of who Jesus is, but no heart knowledge. They know the Bible. They know who Jesus is. They've heard about him. They may go to church. They Instagram, put Bible verses up. They know who Jesus is, but they have no relationship with, who, with him. All right? These people really struggle with understanding salvation. Okay? This is what we're going to be talking about today. It's figuring out which chair or do you fit into this chair. Now, at the end, I hope you guys will remember all this. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to write down what chair you think you're in. So hopefully, while you were sitting here, wherever chair I was sitting in, it was burning a hole in your heart, and you're like, man, that's me. And, um, but at the end, we're going to talk about that. But, but first, I want to I dive into uh, what chair three looks like, okay? And so first off, let, let me just pray, and, uh, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you, God, so much just for allowing us to be here, God. Um, Father, things like this, messages like this, Lord, are not easy for the preach or God to hear. But, Lord, I just pray that, um, God, conviction sets in, Lord, and we're able to be honest with ourselves to know that, know where we are and to see where we need to get to. Father, I just pray that you just show up, God, and I don't want to preach, God. I, I want to I play the background, God. Just let the words that come out of my mouth be yours and just allow us, um, God, to, to hear from you. Father, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so this morning, man, we'll be in, we'll be in Mark chapter 10, and uh, we have about five verses to be from verse 17 to verse 22. And so uh, when you get there, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, uh, when you get there, this is what it says. It's a story about the rich young ruler. It says, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good but one, God. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these from my mouth. Then looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was stunned. And this, 
the man, at this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. And so here's the, here's the, the thing that when we're sitting down in sermon prep, we begin to realize that when we talk about these four chairs, we develop that the sermons that we had planned all kind of identified with one, and we realized the rich young ruler really, really, really identified with chair three. Okay? We realized that he understood who Jesus was, and he understood all these things, but yet he still didn't quite get it. And so the, today we're going to talk about, we're going to show you what that really looks like in detail, what a chair three person may actually look like, okay? And so when you look at verse 17, uh, we're going to talk about man's longing, okay? So we look at 17 again. It says, as he was sitting out, setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This particular, um, all three gospels tell us that this man was rich, this man was young, and that he was a ruler. All right, so this means he probably was a ruler of a synagogue, okay? So this man was like, you know, in, 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 in places where um, Jesus, God was talked about. He was in religious places, so he, had a, he knew about who God was. And so this man was living a clean and moral life. He knows that Jesus did not, notice Jesus did not rebuke him when he claimed to have kept the commandments. So Jesus, you know, he didn't say, ah, you liar. He was like, okay. So he's like, I, I kept your commandments, God. I, I I know who you are. I know what you want from me. I know what you ask of us. And so outwardly, this man's life was clean and pure. Um, he, was, he was the envy of everyone. Everybody wanted to be this guy. On the outside, he looked perfect. He looked great. He had it all together. And so in spite of all he, was going, he had going for him, though, um, he still had an itch that he could not scratch, all right? So he was unsatisfied. He was unsatisfied with his money. He was unsatisfied with his morality. He was unsatisfied with his... Um, his religious activity, and his social status. So even though he had all this, right, he was longing for something greater. Because if not, he would have never approached Jesus in the first place. So this guy had all these things, but yet he still, was, he still felt like something was missing. A lot of times people sitting in chair three have this false impression, and, and false impression that they have it all together, but yet they still feel empty because they actually really do not have the relationship that they were seeking for. They have all the things that, the, 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 the side things that, that come along with their relationship, but they never actually ever have a relationship. Okay? So he was still yearning. So if you, if you feel like, you feel like I, I'm saved, but it's still, I, I still, I'm searching for more, then I promise you, you might want to think about do you actually have a, a real authentic relationship with God? Okay, so that was the man's longing. So also in verse 17, he talks about the man approach. So he, he, he came to the right person. He had um, evidently heard of Jesus and knows that if anyone can help him, Jesus could. So he understood that Jesus was the answer. All right, he understood what he needed to do next. Like he, had to, he had to find Jesus, okay? So he came right away. He comes running because he knows the urgency of the situation. He also came kneeling, you know, which shows that he recognized the fact that Jesus is worth worthy and he is not so he understood like he he got it in his head he got it he got who jesus was you know i need to kneel before him this guy is better than me like he knew all the the steps he needed to take all right and so um he came for the right purpose this young man came to jesus pondering the issue of eternity all right so he knows a lot of things but he is forced to admit that he does not know the way into heaven and so he kind of realized all right i got a lot i'm still missing something this dude can help me, all right? So he identified that Jesus was the guy that can help him grow spiritually, okay? We all, we all on the same page? We got that? All right, so 
<clears throat> but here's what here's where it gets a little tricky. So man's confusion. So <laughs> he says that uh, he thinks salvation can be earned. Okay, and so he's like, what what can I what what do I have to do to get this? Right, and he realizes like he in his mind he's like, all right, I got I found I know how to get money. Like I'm very successful. I know that if I do this and do this and do this, it will equal this. So I'm like, Jesus, be be straight with me, man. Like, what do I need to do? Do I slide you a couple twenties? What do I need to do? To earn salvation, like what, what do I need to get to get this, all right? And so uh, he wants to get his salvation like he has gotten everything else in his life. Um, he wants to earn it himself. But, but here's the thing. When you, think about, when you think about, say you got a job, right? When you work all week long, um, you've earned that paycheck at the end of the day, right? You want your money. Like you earned that, okay? But here's the thing, though. So when you think about that, when you think you earned something, uh, you feel like you're owed it, right? You feel like I, you owe me my money. Give me my money. Well, here's the thing with salvation. God doesn't owe you anything. <laughs> and so the problem with that is sometimes we begin to think that, God, you owe me this. In reality, there's nothing that we can do to earn God's salvation. It is a total gift. And so somewhere along the line, he, re- he, he, he lost it and, realized, and, and didn't see that there's nothing that he can possibly do to get this. All right? He is not owed salvation. It is strictly a gift from God. And so uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, for you, uh, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. So none of us should have the privilege of sticking our chest out and saying, hey, look what I got. You ain't do nothing to get it in the first place. And so how in the world do we sit, our, we sit here and boast about salvation and boast about this when we did nothing to earn it? That's like me, somebody walking up to me and giving me a million dollars, right? And then I walk around like, hey, man, if you just work hard, you can have this too one day. I didn't even work for it. How can I tell somebody else that you, need to, you, you can earn this when I didn't even earn it myself? And so he thinks salvation is a reward. He seems to think that if he can, he can just do enough things, then God will give him eternal life as a reward. Salvation is not a reward for faithful service. It is the free gift of God's grace. And so... When we leave that in verses 18 to 20, it talks about Jesus' correction. And so um, verse 18 and, and through 20 says, Why do you call me God? Jesus asked him. No one is good but one, God. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear the false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from, from my mouth. And so uh, when this young man called Jesus good, Jesus reminded this young man that, no one was good but God. This was designed to make this young man consider how he viewed Jesus Christ, okay? And so obviously this man only believed that Jesus was a good teacher. So once again, he, he knew who Jesus was, but he didn't know who Jesus was. Jesus was like, hey, kind of messing with his head a little bit. Hey, man, only God is good. And in reality, Jesus is God. But this man was like, okay, um, all right, well, teacher, um, how can you help me? And so this... I, before he or anyone, for that matter, can be saved, they must come to the place that, where they have a correct understanding of who Jesus Christ is, okay? So another part of this, if you're stuck in chair three and you're trying to get to chair one, you can't really serve somebody you don't truly know, all right? You are not going to serve somebody that you do not understand. And so a lot of people in chair three, 
are like, well, I know Jesus, you know, Jesus is good, but they really don't understand the true, the true love, the true, the true grace, the true mercy of who Jesus Christ is. And so if you're stuck in chair three, you're not going to be able to serve somebody that you truly do not know and do not understand. It's only until you have a true relationship with him that you will know who he is. One of the scariest things to me is when I see these things, these shows on TV, you know, and like, uh, man, these, these people get married. Like, you get married, people don't even know. And I'm like, this is a train wreck waiting to happen. It's good TV, but it's a train wreck <laughs> waiting to happen. Because here's the reality. If you marry somebody you don't know, you're not going to stay committed to them. Right? You're marrying a stranger. And so a lot of people who are younger, who don't really understand, they marry Jesus without even really knowing who he is. And so they go into this relationship with him without really knowing who he is. And a lot of times when you see, you look at those shows and like those people, oh, I'm so in love with you. I ain't never seen you before, but I'm so in love with you. And like about 20 minutes after the second commercial, they're already getting divorced and they're arguing. I can't believe you would do this. I'm like, I could. You just didn't see it. You know, like, and so like we, a lot of times Jesus begins to, if you don't know who he is, he's going to ask things of you. And you can be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't know that was a part of this deal. Well, if you knew who he was before you committed to him, then you would have understood what you was getting yourself into. Does that make sense? So you have to understand who you are trying to follow before you actually begin to follow that person. All right. And so <clears throat> when Jesus reminds this young man that, that only God is good, he is trying to get this moral young man to see that he is a sinner. Okay. So when Jesus rattles off this list of commands, it isn't to imply that salvation comes from keeping them. Jesus is trying to get this man to see that he is a sinner. He wants to extract a response from this young man that shows he understands that salvation is all about. So Jesus like, you know, naming off all these things, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. And so Jesus is trying to, like, paint this picture for this guy, like, hey, man, this is you. Like, I'm trying to show you that you're, you're a fallen sinner. And this dude's like, okay, I didn't do that. Well, I didn't do that either. You know, well, I'm, I'm good there. And so he missed the point of trying to realize, of see that what God, what Jesus was trying to do. He's trying to show this man that you're, you are a broken individual. All right? You ain't got it all together. You are broken. But yet so many people are sitting in this chair and they're thinking, well, if I can just live better than the next guy, if I just look better than that person, I'm, I'm okay. So many people in this chair will never get to here because they're too busy just trying to be better than the next person. Their standard doesn't come from God. Their standard probably comes from <laughs> this chair right here. You can't get from here until you begin to realize that your standard can't come from the world. You can't come from, what am I not doing? If all you're doing is trying to check off a list of what, what I shouldn't be doing, and if I live by that, then I'm good, then you're missing the total point. If there's zero relationship there, you can check off all the boxes you want. You still won't live in, God, in the God's will that he has for you. So apparently this young man believed that salvation was just something else he could add to his resume. Jesus wanted him to see that regardless of what uh, he may possess materially, he is morally and spiritually bankrupt. So many people think that, keep church names out of it, but so many people feel like if I can, if I can just make it, 
the more money I got, the more blessed I am. The more blessed I am, then obviously me and God are homeboys and we, we in good terms. That's not how it works. You can have all the money in the world and be morally and spiritually corrupt. Corrupt. If you value, if you weigh your spiritual growth by your earthly growth, You've sadly been mistaken. I know plenty of rich people right now. Well, not personally. I wish I did. But I know plenty of rich people that have all the money in the world, and they're just as lost as the person down the street from me. We cannot begin to measure ourselves by how successful we are on this planet. When When this man responds to Jesus, he declares that he has kept the law and has not broken it. It is interesting that Jesus doesn't disagree with this guy. It may be that he is clean outwardly, but Jesus is trying to get him to see the conditions of his heart. And so we have to realize that, man, sometimes like I said, we just look great on the outside, but you can be dead on the inside. You can have it all. You can have, I mean, I've seen it all the time. We call it in our generation. Uh, let me school y'all old people for a second. Uh, we call this thing, I call it Insta-Lives, okay? So if you have this thing called Instagram, if you don't know what Instagram is, Instagram is pretty much like Facebook with straight pictures, okay? And so I love Instagram. I don't have to read that much. It's great. And so I can just kind of scroll through. I know people all the time, man. I, I mean, personally know them. And I know their life is all jacked up. I mean, jacked from the flow up, like just jacked up. But you get on Instagram, boy, you feel like you, you, they make it seem like they are just doing great. And I'm like, I just talked to you yesterday. You was over here crying in my house, and now you on Instagram acting like ain't nothing, no, ain't, everything is okay. And so I call it Insta-Lies. This is the people that I, I see, like, I call it, these are the people that, you know, like they just, they got to make it something. They got it all together. And so they get so caught up in trying to make sure that the world thinks that they're okay, that they, they, they will sell themselves, sell their souls to make sure everybody thinks that they, that they got what they got. So I got so many people, man, they, they out here, I mean, y'all know it, our generation, some of y'all kids did it too, 22 years old, just got married, they out here buying brand new houses, and I'm like, your mama paying that bill, and you know it. <laughs> but guess what, though, it looks great on the outside. For them 200 likes, we'll sell our soul, though, like, we'll sign our life away to get them 200 likes on Instagram or Facebook. But in reality, like, it's a joke, but in reality, that's, a lot of, that's how we live a lot of times. We don't want nobody to know how, how broken we are. We don't want nobody to know our family is distraught. We don't want nobody to know that our daughter is struggling with, with homosexuality. We don't know that, that our son just had a baby out of wedlock, that I'm about to file for bankruptcy. But because we, want, we are so worried about how the world thinks about us that we, we, will never, we will never go to chair one because we have to give up so much to get there. So many people in this chair right here know what they need to do. So many people in this chair are, are more worried about likes on Instagram and Facebook than they are about their eternity. I can just tell that, see the gears turn, you think, yeah, I know like five of those people right now. I liked their picture before I came in the church. <laughs> I'm going to stop. All right. <laughs> Verse 21. Not many times you get a rant about Facebook and Instagram from the pulpit. All right, so <laughs> verse 21. All right, here we go. So then looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all, all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. So this is Jesus' commandments, okay? So notice the love and the compassion in the heart of Jesus 
that Jesus had for this young man. Jesus still loved this young man regardless of his sins and regardless of improper understanding. So this is what's so cool about all that. So Jesus knows this guy, right? He knows him better than himself. He knows how imperfect he is. Instead of Jesus getting upset and saying, hey, man, just get away from me. You're lying to my face. Get away from me. You're telling all these insta lies. Get away from me. Jesus says, look, man, this is what you need to do. Through it all, Jesus says, look, you're driving me crazy, but I, I, I just want you. So if you can do these things, man, you, you can have a relationship with me. And so Jesus commands him to sell his possessions and give the money to the poor. So Jesus isn't implying that salvation is earned by giving away our material possessions, all right? He is merely placing his finger, finger on the root of the man's problem, all right? This guy loved money more than anything else. And Jesus says, if you want me, uh, you can place nothing else ahead of me. And so a lot of times, my, I mean, I'm broke. Money ain't my problem, all right? So, but there's things in my life that God is saying, Brandon, you need to, you need to give that up if you want to have a true relationship with me. In your life, there's something that you have that is your, that is your pride possession. It may not be money, but it may be something else that you're not willing to give up. Jesus says you need to give that up and put nothing else in front of me. So Jesus commands him to take up his cross. All right? And I love, I mean, I love that. I'll, be, I'll talk about that all day long. When, I love when Jesus says just pick up your cross because it, it is so it is so, like, just to the point. And, I mean, he's like, hey, man, pick up your cross. And at this time, Jesus was still alive, so, like, they didn't understand what he was trying to say. But he knew what that meant. And he know, we know what that means today, what that cross represents. I heard it one time, man, having a cross on your chest is like the equivalent of putting an electric chair around your neck, you know, and wearing it as, a, you know, as something cool to do. That cross represents Jesus, Jesus dying for everything, for dying for us. All right? And so he says, you need to pick up your cross. All right? He means you need to die every single day to yourself. You need to understand that when, you, when I pick up that cross that I carried all this struggle, it was not easy. And he's saying, look, if you want this life with me, it ain't going to be easy. You need to make sure that you're willing to die to yourself every single day to get with what you want. Okay? And so Jesus commanded him to follow him. This young man has been following power, prestige, possessions, and position and possessions. And Jesus said, you need to turn your back on all of that, um, and you need to follow me. This is how you get eternal life. And so he's talking to this guy, said, look, man, I can see right now all the things that are standing in between you and me. Jesus like, hey, I see you in chair three. You right here, okay? You're trying to get to chair one. There's a wall right here separating you from there. He said, these are the things in your life that are separating you from this. And it's time for you to get rid of those things. And we see right here in, in, in verse 22 uh, the conclusion of that talk that Jesus had with him. You see in verse 22, it says, but, this, but he was stunned at this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. This guy chose his possessions over Jesus. He loved his money more than he wanted to be saved. He allowed his eternity to be decided by temporary satisfaction. Think about that for a second. He allowed his forever to be determined by things that will go away when he died. In his world, those things is all he had. 
things kind of change, man. Depending on where you stand, and things look a whole lot different. I, I began to realize that. I can remember the first time I flew. We was playing. We had to go play a team for at, uh, when I was playing college football. We had to go play a team up in uh, up north in Delaware. It was the first time I ever flown before, and I and somehow I got the dang uh, window seat, and I'm stuck between two other offensive linemen. I'm about to hyperventilate. It was crazy. And so, like the first thing I remember was like getting off the ground. I was like, this ain't so bad. And then the plane does this. It takes off and it just like turns. And I'm like sitting here looking at the ground like, oh, Lord, I'm about to die. <laughs> and so the higher I got, the like you, you kind of know when you look at Google Maps or whatever, like if you haven't flown, you look at Google Maps, the higher you get, the smaller everything gets, right? And so I was sitting there thinking like, man, this is pretty cool. Like from this area, like I can't even tell where Alexandria is, you know, on this thing. But when you're on the ground, everything seems so big, right? Like I don't like walking from my couch to the fridge sometimes. Because it feels like it's so far away. But when you're in the sky, y'all laugh at me if you want. Don't judge me. All right? That's why I got married. My wife helps me with that stuff. All right? <laughs> so it's not funny. It's the truth. All right? So but like, it seems so big from perspective that I'm at. But I'm in the sky. The whole city itself just looks so small. And so sometimes we would just take a step back and we would just look at this world from a kingdom perspective, from an eternity perspective, we would realize that the things that we have are not really that important. But somehow we get so stuck into the worldly perspective that we let things like uh, money and our iPhones and our iPads seem so huge that we're willing to throw every, our eternity away for these things that's going to pass away in general. What temporary satisfactions are you allowing to block your relationship with Christ? Some of us in this room have been church our whole life. Sitting in these pews, sitting in these chairs, wherever you grew up. You've been sitting in this chair. You have no idea, but you're in this chair. Until today, hopefully. What are the things that have you here that's keeping you from being over there? That first picture that I, that I showed y'all, um, I can just remember when I was, was going over the sermon, I, I just remember this story from that trip we took. We took 11 kids to camp. We went to camp in Memphis. Still don't know why we drove that far, but we did. Um, and I can just remember the last night we were there, which is, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with, like, camps, usually the last night's like the big, you know, they, the big push. The kids are kind of opened up to each other. They're not afraid to worship. Like, they're, they're good to go. And so um, I can just remember that night I was sitting there at the end of the row, and I'm still new to this, too, and, I, and I'm looking at the row, and you could just see, like, Man, this one girl that we brought was, like, distraught. Like, she, you could just tell, like, she was wrestling with God, right? Like, you, I can't describe, but you kind of know what it looks like, okay? Like, she was just wrestling with God. And so uh, they gave us a time where, like, man, if you need to go out, just get right with God. Go ahead. So I, I, I said, hey, come, come talk to me. So we went outside and just walked. And I just remember the conversation that we had. I said, hey, you know, what's, what's going on? And she was just like, Brandon, like, I, I know I know I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I was like, good, good. Like, that's, that's, I'm glad you understand that. And I'm nervous. It's probably one of the first people I ever tried to lead to Christ. I'm sitting there, like, trying not to stumble over words. I'm, like, trying to think of Bible scripts I could turn to. I was like, okay, so, so, what are you, so what are you thinking right now? She was like, Brandon, to be honest with you, she was like, I, I know I need to get right with Jesus, but I just can't give up the things that I have. I was like, what do you mean? Never heard that before. She was like, I got friends. I know when I get saved, I'm going to have to give up my friends, the music I listen to, the, you know, the people I hang out with, all these things that I, I, I watch. I, I know I have to give up all those things, and I just can't do it. 
That blew my mind. Blew my mind. But she understood. She was like, Brandon, I know I'm in chair three. And I get that I, I need to be in chair one. I get that. But I care more about the I care more about the people's opinions about my life when I start living for Jesus the right way, how they're gonna talk about me. I care more about those friends that I have that are leading me down the wrong path. I care more about them. I care about that music that's doing nothing but pump, pumping bad stuff into my life. I care more about that than I care about a relationship with Jesus right now. She didn't tell me that up front, but that's what she was basically saying. Sometimes we can make our words sound great and make this, this great excuse to why we can't do something, but in reality, we're just telling, telling God, God, I got more important things to do right now than to have a relationship with you. Guys, what is in your life right now that is keeping you from growing to the next? What's keeping you out of chair one in your life? What are those things in your life right now that is keeping you from chair one? I can remember, man, I, a lot of, man, I, I was in this chair um, until college. I mean, a lot of you heard my testimony, but, man, I grew up in church my whole life. Grew up in church. I knew, I mean, I knew all of it, all right. Sunday school answers, I knew all of it. I got saved at 19 years old. Grew up in church my whole life. Got saved at 19 years old. Got baptized, like, at 8 or 9 years old. Got saved at 19. Because at 19 years old is when I really understood what it meant to have a relationship. I was here. I knew Jesus. I knew all the answers. I knew about Moses. I knew about Noah. I knew that Jesus so loved the world. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten. I knew all of it. I knew every bit of it. But for about 19 years, I missed having a relationship with him. Guys, a head knowledge can't get you in heaven. You knowing who he is isn't good enough. I know a lot of famous athletes, but guess what? They don't know me. If you know who he is, but if he don't know who you are, you kind of miss the whole thing. So look, this is what I want to do. Um, I got I got some people that's going to pass out some some paper, and I want to just kind of take a Take a poll, okay? I mean, this is a quiet poll. So what are you going to do is if you have a pen, you got a piece of paper, just rip it off, a small piece. If not, uh, man, Brother Matt's going to pass out some paper to you. Um, but this is what I want you to do. <clears throat> I just want to know, honestly, and we're going to look at this as a pastor, as a, as a staff, and we just want to look. You don't have to put your name on it, none of that. We just want to know, what chair do you feel like you're sitting in right now? And be honest with yourself. Don't tell us what we want to hear. We get back 100, 100 pieces of paper, all said we're in chair one. And I said, Lord, we got a line problem in our church. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's going to be bad. It's going to be a very sad day for us. But be honest with yourself. What chair do you feel like you identifying? I don't want your name. We just want to know as a whole where we identify ourselves in. And if you're sitting in chair three, 
you know, the, the, the fun and beautiful thing about this is you don't have to stay there. This rich young ruler was in chair three. Jesus knew he was in chair three. And he gave him every opportunity that he could to get to chair one. But here's the scary thing about that. You won't always have an opportunity to get from chair three to chair one. One of my students who's actually here today, she texted me this morning. Like it's 1 a.m. in this morning. I got it when I woke up this morning. And uh, she says, Brandon, I don't, know what the, I don't know what else to do right now. Another friend is gone from me. I was like, what are you talking about? Come to find out, little girl who just turned 17 years old, last night got in a fight with somebody else uh, in our city. A uh, girl got up, they got in a fight. The other girl got mad. She was getting beat up, grabbed the knife and stabbed her to death. I was sitting back there before the church started, and I was just talking to her. I said, hey, look. I was like, here's the scary thing about when people our age die. It's like, yeah, you lost a friend. That's the pain. But the most painful part about all of it is it's a constant reminder to us that we're not invincible. When I was, seven, when I was 15 years old, I mean, I got till 90 years old, you know, because I, I used to think that being a Christian was born. The old people did it. And I, could, I was like, man, when I turn 50, you know, and I get done having fun, I'll just kind of get saved. I'll have a relationship with Jesus, and I'll just go ahead and die and go to heaven. You know, but, but since then, I've lost a lot of friends who were the same age as me. And it made me realize my, my youth does not mean I'm invincible. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You know what today holds because you're living it. But you don't know what tomorrow holds. And so you have to understand that you may not have this opportunity again tomorrow. Wherever you are on this spectrum, you have an opportunity to change it today. You may close your eyes and never wake up again. But you have an opportunity right now to make that change. To change your life to what it needs to be. You need to be tired of living in chair four, in chair three, and even in chair two. What is keeping you from being right there in chair one? 